Maar staat ook een nice woord aan Pasha's Vaishlach van de Katske Rebbe. Aan de Pusik Vaikach Menabu Bijudoi Minchel Aisov. Okay, right, Janke Vivini was the one taking this uh, Mincha over here. So obviously, with Janke Vivini, it's always uh, being done right. But just a lesson that we can learn, Masa Uva Simalabunam. Katske Rebbe says that anybody who's going to be grabbing any opportunity, Vaikach Menabu Bijudoi. When somebody just takes things the way they come, he doesn't give it the time to think it through. He doesn't take the opportunity to find out if it's right or wrong. He just he just takes whatever opportunity samachtsch, you know, without without the the proper uh, con- con- contemplation and and uh, responsibility to make sure that what he's doing is right. Then automatically he's going to turn to a minchal aisav. Automatically the setrachre, the sutin, the klippe will will have an achiza in that. Anything done too quickly, anything that's not done with ishavadas the way it should be done, you know, could could lead to a minchal aisav. And this is this is obviously a lesson for life. How much a lesson for life? When it comes to personal things, when it comes to personal decisions, when it comes to personal moves, you know, if a person's too quick and a person doesn't think things through, he doesn't he doesn't give it the respect, he doesn't give a decision or or a topic the, the respect that it deserves. Doesn't doesn't he doesn't address it responsibly, like a responsible thought out person would do, then he he'll very often run into problems, both the spiritual problems, Rachnizdik, talking about Satarachra. And both gosh music are problems, right? Everyone knows that when you don't, when you're not osgerechent, uh, you don't, you don't make the right decisions, and you're not, you're not uh, giving the amount of, of time that something deserves. Then automatically, very often, you're going to make mistakes. How much more so when it comes to relationships? How much more so does it come to anything that's a little more complicated, whether it's an interpersonal thing or, or whatever that affects other people? Of course, it has to be done, you know, with the right achrayis and yishuvadas. And then when that has to do with building a marriage and a home and, and children and Doris Yishurim and Veruchim, with Hashem's help. So things have to be thought out. And so often, unfortunately, people don't give, you know, like I said, the proper respect um, that, that these kind of things deserve. So I think it's very important, as natural as it is, to build a home. And I don't think anyone has to go for major lessons to learn, get special training how to build a home. You know, as long as you're doing training, do the right thing. And, and following the chinuch that you grew up with, or whatever it is, whatever guidance, whatever that story you're following, I don't think it takes any special talent or quality to build the Yiddish Hashtib. It takes a lot of self that, yeah. But I'm saying, I think everyone's qualified. But you're only as qualified as, as, as you are giving it the attention it deserves. If you're just doing it by the way, during your sleep, or during, or, you know, while you're really busy with other things in life, and you're hoping that everything will just fall into place in your family and your home and your and your children and your marriage, everything will just happen on its own, that's definitely something that's not uh, you know, too conducive to success in these areas. And certainly not when it's Abubi Yudai, you know, whatever it is that catches your attention, or whatever idea that falls into your head, and you're just going to jump at it, or take the opportunity, or just you know, whatever it is. If you're not thinking things through, you're very often going to make mistakes, and the repercussions are unfortunately sometimes bigger than you're ready to deal with. So with that said, let me, let me read... Uh, a question here, and I'm also going to stick in a bonus question at the end because there was another email that I was debating with myself if I should address or not, and, and I didn't want to um, designate a, a whole class to it, but let's see if we could fit everything in in this class. Okay, so hi by Gruen, I love the balanced way you respond to sensitive issues such as this one. Okay, I guess this was a feedback to some class. I have a little bit of the opposite issue that the questioner had. Okay, my wife is very attractive. I love it when she dresses up and puts on makeup, whether in or outside the home. Okay. She recently shared with me that there are certain things that she does not feel comfortable wearing when we go out because she doesn't want to attract or tempt other men. For example, she doesn't want to wear XYZ, particularly ABC. 
I totally understand and support a decision not to wear things that will attract other people's attention, even if they are technically permissible. Okay. Uh, my difficulty is that my wife also wants to keep the same standard in the home because she doesn't want our boys, ages irrelevant, I think, uh, to see her look this way. I would like to have some opportunity for my wife to dress the way I would like. However, the kids go to sleep very late. I'm not going to ask my wife to change it to something special when it's already past uh, whatever time at night. The reason is, the reason that I don't want to ask her this is because whenever I've asked her to do this in the past, it led to an argument. How would you suggest we navigate the situation? I appreciate any help or insight you can provide. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm not going to address that one line that some people might be waiting for me to address because I'm not, I'm not a rover, that's Toja. Um, but something about wearing things that will attract other people's attention if they are permissible, that, that's, not, that's not my topic now, but that, that, that's something definitely worth discussing. You know, how permissible is it if it's attracting the wrong attention? Okay, it doesn't, in other words, it's not, it's not necessarily what it is, but what it's doing. So you know, everything in the right time and place. Uh, let me just, I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Now, Everything in life is about balance. Everything in relationships is, are about balance. Everything, every, everything's about balance. You know, unless unless you're talking about something specifically terrible or specifically great, specifically uh, a mitzvah or specifically an avera. But I'm saying in general, very many things are about balance. Understanding what I'm wearing. So let me start with what what I would consider, and, and I'd like to share uh, about what's what's called normal and healthy. Very important. Normal and healthy. The Gemara says, "Ishanua machibedata shaludam." All right. Uh, a good-looking woman, let's call it. I know there's a lot of other pshutim, mean, and I'm not, if, you know, I'm not looking for everyone to send me feedback about what the Gemara might mean or really means. The, the, the typical, simple pshat: isha nuah, machivedata shaludam, kailam nuah, dira nuah. A nice woman. The simple pshat is someone who's looking good. Um, a dira nuah. The typical, the simple pshat is if you have a house that looks good, or kailam nuah, you have nice kailam, you have nice uh, things in your house. These are machivedata shaludam. It makes a person content. It makes a person. Happy, pleased, satisfied, however you, however you want to touch those words. Um, the fact that, that, that a woman has a way of making her husband feel good because she's looking good, that's normal and healthy. That's something Chazal promote. I spoke about this in the past, about the kir. We find it in the Sfurim, that the kir was made out of the mirrors that the women in Mitzrayim were, were showing off to their husbands how they looked, to tempt them to have children. And Moshe Rabbani thought that it wasn't good. Also something to think about. Um, but in the end, Hashem told him, no, this is, this is beautiful, this is the way it should be, and, and he, Hashem told him to make the kir and the vesmigdash and the mishkan out of that. You know, th- so there's definitely a lot to say about a woman's appearance and what it does for her husband and how healthy and good and ehrlich it is. Very many people who deal with shalom bias and, and, and whatever kind of you know, helping couples or helping women, for that matter, will definitely talk about how it's healthy and important for a woman to look attractive to her husband to be dressed in a way that, that's appealing. Um, very many of them will talk about how many women do the opposite. They, they, they dress at home in a way that's very unappealing. Forget about the people who only dress up outside of the home, that, that's a separate thing, but I'm just saying, even just at home, just to look appealing, look menschlich, not look like you just fell out of bed, um, not look like you really couldn't care what you look like because it could really turn someone off. And I've, I've seen this, I've seen... I've seen people who struggled with this because their wife was very poor looking and could have done a better job at looking like a mansion, looking more presentable. And there was that, that aversion to something that's unappealing. And, and it causes problems. Now, was that the only problem? Not the only problem? It's irrelevant. It's definitely a, a cause of problems. 
interestingly, I notice often in the in the emails and the booklets of Rabbi Vigda Miller, where he talks about how a wife is supposed to look good for her husband, and he mentions clearly that a, that a woman is not supposed to look good for other people, like you mentioned here. She's not, she's not supposed to be too attractive or too tempting to other men. The place for a woman to look good is at home. Um, as a matter of fact, even more than that, there are those that unfortunately just mamish for the yoytes do the other way around. And I've, I've heard this from so many people. And my, my wife will go out and dress up and look good, and you know, we're going to a syndrome, and there's other people, or forget about when there's other men there, things like that. And when she comes home, nothing, zero, whatever Allah's going to do, she won't do. It, it, it's a problem. It's definitely a problem. It, it's wrong. It's distorted. It's, it's the opposite of what's supposed to happen. So there's definitely something to talk about that. And I think everyone should hear it and everyone should know it. There's the healthy and there's the normal and there's the, you know, there's what's supposed to happen. And it's part of what a man or a husband is not only entitled to, but something that's on some level it's a pasbasala, it's something that could be helpful to a, to a man to not go look elsewhere for things like that. On some level it seems that this would have to do with the taste of a husband. If a woman's going to dress nicely, all on her terms, and nothing about what her husband likes to see, and say, well, listen to this, you know, this is the award-winning uh, uh, skirt out there. This is, this is what everyone likes to see. And he, does, and he, he, does, he specifically doesn't like it, or he's disgusted by it. You know, there's, something, there's something about it. There's something just about, about taking seriously the fact that you're trying, just like when you're serving food, you want to serve it to the person who's eating it. You want to make sure it's good. And you don't want to say, well, the cookbook said it's the best recipe if your husband can't handle it. You know, there's just something about it. There's, there's, there's something normal and balanced and healthy about taking seriously the fact that a woman should look good for her husband and, and dress in a way that's appealing to him. Nothing out of bounds, nothing extreme, just, just something normal and healthy. As a matter of fact, I think that no extremes are necessary at all. No extremes are healthy. If a woman's only going to wear what he wants and not take what she likes into account at all, as well as anything that goes beyond the healthy and normal, and I'm not going to specify what that is, but I think some people might understand what I, what I mean, in other words, if you're dressing up, um, something that's not, it's not normal, but it, it, it's dressing up, you're basically putting on a show or, or a costume or whatever it is that's not you know, the, the typical or normal way of dressing, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's called performing a show. I, I don't think that that's what we, we mean when we talk about dressing in a pleasant and appealing way. There's dressing in an appealing way, and then there's putting on a show. I think it's two separate things. And that's what people start getting mixed up over here. But just the first idea that a woman, the way she dresses, is important to her husband, and she's dressed in a way that's that's not turning off, and certainly not in a way that's less than she dresses in other areas. And I don't mean to say that she has to dress at home every night the way she dresses. But I'm talking about what's considered normal and healthy, and not anything unappealing and unhealthy and, 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 and disrespectful. So all that. Now, when it, when it comes to anything specific, he's going to start pointing at a closet and dictating what she should wear, similar to the way a mother maybe would tell a preschool kid what you're wearing tomorrow. I don't think that's an obligation on her part. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think that's how it's supposed to be. I don't think that's what the Gemara means. I don't think that's the obligation. I don't think that's the responsibility of a woman to now, you know, have an appointment with her, with her husband every night and start asking him to choose her clothes or have, her, or have him, go, him go shopping for her. That's what balance is about. It's about knowing how much yes and how much not, how much consideration, how much am I still a person, how much are you a person, how much do I want to take you seriously, how much do you want to take me seriously. That's what balance and healthy is about. Now, as we start talking about what's, what might be considered unhealthy when it becomes controlling or dictating or specific, um, let's, 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 go, let's go there. Anyone obsessing over how someone looks or anyone obsessing about how someone should dress specifically or anyone obsessing or dictating exactly what they want or being unhappy with anything that's not um, a specific way, 
that doesn't sound like it's coming from a healthy and a normal place. I know that many people have those kind of feelings, and it's fine to have feelings. But to now go dictate and, and impose that on someone else, because this is what I like. It's not very different. Let's give you the example I gave before. It's not very different of a husband telling his wife, listen, I want you to make exactly this for supper. Sunday this, Monday that. Tuesday, the same thing as Sunday. And Wednesday, the same thing as that. And this is how it has to be. And anything other than that, I don't like. I know there are people that have eating disorders and other problems, and, and, and but when you get too specific and too controlling, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, does that mean that a, a, a wife could make chicken and rice every night for supper if her husband can't stand those two foods? Of course not. So that's what balance is about. Let's take it a step further, but objectifying someone and turning someone into an object that's now going to please you when there's very little emotional connection or very little anything else behind that. In other words, you're basically just um, trying to dress someone up um, in a way that you like to look at, I mean, it's not very different, okay, and, and I, I know it is, but I'm just wording it this way, I don't want people to, to first think of the example. It's not very different from a wife, a woman, telling a husband, you know what, I really enjoy the, the circus clowns. The circus clowns, you know, they just make me so happy, just looking at that clown with the big red nose. Um, I can't go to the circus too often, there aren't circuses down too often, it's not Halamoid every day, I'm busy with the kids. You know, when you come home, not when the kids are up, because I understand it's disrespectful. When, when, they, when you come home and the kids are sleeping, if you could just take out that, that, that perm costume, the clowny one. I know it's really a, a, a children's size, but if you it would just add to the, you know, to the geschmack of seeing someone wearing a little kid's costume and paint your face for me, it would mean so much to me. Now, I know, I know, and I don't need anyone telling me that the, the example is very different than what we're discussing. I know it's not, nothing near any kind of obligation of a man uh, looking that way for a woman, etc., but, but think about it. Just think about what it means. It's one thing for a woman to say, you know, if you don't mind and, and, and you wear this or that, I would appreciate it without dictating or controlling. But it's another thing when it becomes very specific. I like clowns. The reason why I'm giving this example is because when you tell someone to dress up like a clown for you, the reason why it's wrong is not because it's not normal and nobody does it. There are people that do it sometimes when they want to, when they want to please someone. I was reading an article not too long ago with a picture of a Chabad rabbi who, who was being Masada conditioned by a chasen. He was officiating the, the ceremony dressed up like a clown or some other costume, I don't remember what it was. And the write-up, the article was that, you know, he did it because this couple had a difficulty making a Jewish wedding. And he told them, listen, I'll do whatever you want. Just let's try to make this happen. Let's do a chip of a condition. And one of the things they asked for, not, not in a, you know, not, 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 not to fight him at all, just, you know, just to add to that. We would love if the rabbi doing this would dress up in this, in this costume. And he did it, he went along with that. So I'm just, I'm just giving the example. If somebody wants to dress up like a clown, for whatever reason, because it makes them look uh, feel good or, or someone else enjoys how they look, at it, that's wonderful. But the reason why it's a problem is because if you want me to dress up like a clown and that's what you like, it means that you like a clown. You don't like me. But I'm your husband and I'm the one that's here for, you know, by night and I'm the one that might take you seriously even though you're a little off the wall. So I'll dress up like a clown. So now you have a clown to look at. If I would have enough money, I would pay you for this to go to the circus, which is far away, if we would have enough time and money. If I would have even more money, I would, I would hire a clown to come home, and you could watch the clown. But you, we can't do that. So I'm going to be the clown. Think about it. It means I don't, it's not you that's appealing to me. It's the clown. And you could dress up like that clown. That's wonderful. So the reason why I'm explaining this is because very often, very often, on some level, not always, not extreme, but on some level, when somebody wants a spouse, to dress specifically a certain way, because this is what I like to look at, if you, if you feel good like that or not, and you want to make me feel good, it basically means I like that, and I would appreciate it if you could be that, and I'll, I'll, I'll love that, because that's what I want. Now, I know that when it comes to men and women, um, differently than the clown, you could find a clown. 
you, you could go look at a clown. You could go enjoy a clown. And if you want me to be the clown, you can ask me nicely. I'll think about if I want to do it for you. When it comes to men and women, there's always that argument of, he can't get this anywhere else. If you don't provide that for him, maybe he'll be tempted, or maybe he, he just will feel deprived, or whatever it is. And, and there's some legitimacy to that argument about how much a woman could provide for a man because, because she's the one that's providing for whatever he needs. I'm just, I'm just trying to give the, the, the two sides of a coin that aside from the control issue, when you tell someone, do this for me, and dress this for me, and do things the way I like, there's also the idea of, it's, it's okay to like things, it's okay to want things, but to make someone be the thing you want without anything more to it is, is something wrong with that. And part of it, um, part of objectifying, and part of getting a certain specific pleasures uh, from, from someone might actually, and, and often does actually, take away from anything more meaningful and emotional. In other words, very often, relationships that are as meaningful as marriage could now become very trivial and very, uh, I don't know what the word is, but uh, take away from anything, anything deeper and more meaningful. So I, I hope I'm giving the two sides of the story. It's important for women to understand that for a woman to look good and to be appealing and please her husband, especially when he can't get that kind of uh, pleasure or good feeling somewhere else, is important. It's important. It's a, you shouldn't say, well, I don't have to. You tell me what to do. No, this is important. This is important for every woman to do. It's also important for a man to understand that there has to be a balance of letting her also have a say and not controlling or dictating or being specific and certainly not trying to make someone feel like, you know, the other thing is what I like, so please be that. Now, just let's get a little more practical to address the question. Um, it seems that your wife already does look good. That's what it sounds like you're saying. It doesn't sound like she's wearing shmatas at home or walking around in my gown or anything unappealing, which I think is, is, is wonderful. Um, I'm just pointing it out to you. It sounds like she's doing technically what she has to do. Um, I respect you for respecting her decision, and I respect her as well, for not wanting to tempt other men and attract attention from other men. Now, I know there are people that do that to an extreme, and in the name of not attracting attention from other men will be looking specifically unappealing, and I just wanted to mention it, because sometimes, in the name of doing the right thing, you do the wrong thing. But I'm saying the fact that it seems, and especially the examples that I left out, um, the fact that it seems that you both have an understanding of what might not be appropriate, and you both have a respect for the fact that it's not appropriate, I, I commend that, and I think it's wonderful. So that's just something I think is, is important. Um, when it comes to the examples that you're giving about asking your wife to dress in a certain way specifically, or a certain time, especially late at night, you know, I, I don't know, something about that just seems a bit controlling and, and a bit inappropriate. Um, I will say that I, I do know, I do understand, there is a time and place um, for, for certain ideas, certain ideas. And I don't mean it because I'm promoting it, I don't mean it because I, I mean anything specific necessarily. I just want to mention, I do know that some people have been guided to, to do certain things at certain times or whatever it is, because this is what's important for a marriage, even if in the big picture, even if outside the home, or even if whatever it can be done. There's such a thing. But does that now mean that a, that a husband should go dictate exactly what he, what, you want, what he wants his wife to do and when? No, you know, that's what balance is about. It, the fact that it, she's not doing it willingly, does she have to do that? I mean, there are nice ideas out there that if a woman wants to do something for her husband, whatever it is, she can find out if it's right or wrong. Wonderful, if she wants to, but to now make someone do it because it's such an idea, you know, th- that's where balance always comes in. And it's important to take that seriously. And I, before I go on, this, this goes the other way around as well. I, I've, I've heard of many situations where women are telling the husband exactly how to dress and how to comb their hair or, or what to put on or what not to wear or what not to... It, it's not very different. It's not very different. When it comes to boundaries and understanding who should not be controlling what and, and what to leave someone else, I think this all is, is just very important to understand that 
everybody should should remain with their uh, individual privilege of deciding how they want to behave. Um, and I'm making someone feel guilty about this or, or, or using any kind of manipulative tactics where I was going to say, well, if you don't provide me with this, then I'm going to have to do this and that. Again, it, it might not necessarily be so. Find out. The fact that, you know, if somebody tells you if you don't uh, serve me a five-course meal, I'm going to steal from the restaurant. Again, you have to know what obligation is and what not obligation is. And it's important to be able to respect that. It's important to be able to respect that somebody is not obligated to provide whatever it is that you're looking for necessarily just because you feel very strongly that you want or need it. I think it's important for any husband in this situation to learn how to enjoy his wife and who she is, to connect with her, to appreciate what she does do. Now, I don't mean with all this to say that, okay, so it equals that you just back off and stop telling your wife what to do, and it's okay, you, 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 know, you, don't, you, you don't deserve it. She doesn't have to. I just wanted to give a certain perspective on what it is that, you, that you're saying here. I will end off saying that anyone who wants his wife to do anything for him, no matter what it may be, or any woman that wants her husband to do something for her, for her, whatever it may be, if it's right or wrong, if it's an obligation or a requirement or just a, something nice or something totally optional or something totally out of bounds, whatever it is that you want someone to do for you. Okay? Don't say it in the moment, which means don't bring it up 9.30 at night, if that's when you want it done. Um, always talk about it in a time that it's less relevant, so it's less challenging and less controlling. Always talk about it in a nice way, regardless of how... how obligated someone to do it for you. Talk about it in a nice way where somebody doesn't feel like, like you feel that they have to, something I spoke about recently as well. Even if they do have to, it makes it easier for everyone when you talk about it nicely. Um, definitely show a lot of appreciation if somebody's coming across and, 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 and doing something for you, regardless, again, regardless of if they have to or not. If you have a big problem saying thank you for something, that, that alone is a problem, something to think about. Um, and, and make someone want to do it. This is the general idea. Make someone want to do it for you. Instead of making people do things for you, instead of getting people to do things because they either have to, or you're going to find a way to make them, or you're going to control them or manipulate them, make them want to. Very big difference. You can make someone do something, you can make someone want to do something. So if you want your wife to do whatever it is that we spoke about, or anything else, whether she has to or not, getting her to want to, figuring out what that is, or, or, what, or maybe thinking about why she really does want to or doesn't want to, or figuring out what will make her want to please you more, that that's a way to go in marriage. So regardless of what this topic is about, and regardless of how right or wrong this is, if you want someone to do something for you, instead of making them do it for you, it's, it's much more important that you can make them want to do it for you. And there are ways to give the eager want, as Dale Carnegie calls it. So I'm just going to end off again, Me'ena Psicha first over here, and that is that, you know, Koska Rebbe said, there are things that we just grab, because this is what I like, this is what's talking to me, this is what I want you to happen, Think it through, discuss it with someone, make sure that, you know, just, just to get a better idea of what and when and how much and how little, you know, just to be clearer instead of getting black and white about, I want all this, she doesn't want any of that. There's only things that could be worked out with each of us that I think will definitely uh, make it easier for people to, to do the right thing. So I hope that I gave some clarity on that. And now, like I said, I'm, I'm going to throw in a bonus question. Maybe I'll leave out some of the details, but, but let's just try to cover this as quick as possible. Dear by Gruen. I actually started writing this email just to tell you how appreciative I am and how much I enjoy listening to your weekly talks on marriage or to any time. Then I couldn't help myself from throwing in my personal question. I find the sensibility, clarity, and depth in your answer so refreshing. There are many topics that are strongly related to. I managed to just break away each layer of questions that I had and, gave in, and gain a new perspective on them all. My only complaint is that you release the English ones only once a week, which is not very fear for non-Yiddish speakers. Okay. But, so thank you for the good word and sorry for not being fear. I wish I could speak more often. Um, it takes time 
to prepare and to record and, and a lot of other things that go into uh, making these classes. But I, I know that was said in, in humor. I've been struggling in the area in certain areas, okay, for over eight years of marriage. And I appreciate I particularly I particularly appreciated the talk you gave on why more clarity couldn't be given before the wedding. Okay, so we spoke about uh, different ways that Chus and Kala are educated. You finally afforded me a certain sense of peace after after that one, knowing that no matter what we what we would have been told before the wedding, it was a path we had to take and still taking. And nothing that others did or didn't say is the blame, as hard as it is to accept. Okay, I'm not going to go there again. Recently, we have been helped by certain therapists. First, a female transferred us to a male. I'm just mentioning it, um, which definitely helped on some big issues. They were both from, but as I am from a certain background, and they coming from a more open-minded background, let's call it, I'm continuously plagued with doubts as to if we are doing, if what we are doing is the correct thing. You mentioned how it's so important to follow the Torah's way, and I've nu- mentioned numerously that we should be striving for Kedusha. And while I know that what we are doing, while I know that what we used to be doing may have seemed better. Okay. I, 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 I'm constantly plagued by the guilt and second-guessing myself if the path we are taking is correct. Okay, you also discuss how important it is to have a Rav to discuss everything with, and while we do have a Rav to discuss most questions with, I don't feel comfortable discussing with him uh, anything that's regarding these, these topics. I think to put it shortly, there's some invisible line between doing what's needed to be done and taking it too far, but how on earth am I supposed to know what that is so I can let go of the guilt and doubt in order to heal and move on? I'll appreciate any insight as I feel I trust your unique blend of openness yet from Kite. Thank you. Okay, so l- let me say this. The parts that I left out are the parts that we spoke about in the past a few times already, the parts that I said that I'm not going to be discussing again, and you know, this is... Some people see this platform that I have over here as being able to discuss anything because you know it's, it's more comfortable, it's anonymous, and everything like that. And it's not, that's not what I'm here for. I, my main, my main motive in these classes is to help people with relationships, whether it's relationships with children in terms of chinuch or shambais, but it's relationships. Um, and I do see this as somewhat connected to the previous question that we mentioned, talking about balance, how much, how little, and like this writer says, is there some invisible line between doing what needs to be done and taking it too far? Okay, so let me just let me just say the following. Um, I'll try to be brief. The idea of das Torah, the idea of doing what it says in the Torah, everything is Torah. Everything is Torah. I, w- I want to be clear and, and open about this. I would certainly discuss certain topics or certain. I would certainly give different guidance in certain areas, different than I do, if not for the fact that I'm committed um, to das Torah. I'll tell you clearly. There are things that I say in my classes, that there are things that we discuss, that I specifically say it this way, not because I think it's the best way or makes the most sense to me necessarily, or not because I don't have my own ideas about other things, but because the Torah teaches us that. And because I'm committed to certain Hadrocha and certain Ashkofa and certain Das Torah that, 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 that I trust in. And I'm not imposing that on anyone else. All I mean to say is that that, that, that committed attitude to Das Torah is just the shining light. It's just that, that's what tells us what's good, regardless of what we think. And we trust Das Torah, and we follow Das Torah, and we know that everything is Torah. It's not much different than trusting whatever medical advice, even if it doesn't make sense to us. We just, we understand it. This, this must be best. Now, once we have the given that it must be best, we promote it, and we try to rationalize it, and we try to understand it, and we try to see it, and we try to appreciate it. But it definitely starts with a certain committed attitude of, I'm not going to figure this out on my own, I'm not going to come up with my own ideas, I'm not going to decide that I know better. That's, that's definitely something very important. 
have a friend who I talk to, somewhat of a, a roof or a madrich, and a lot of times I share different questions that people ask me with him. And he told me recently, you know, you know what I started noticing? You know, most of the questions you, you ask could always boil down to one of three answers. I'm only going to give one of them. But one of them that he said was, and something I also talk about often is, you have to have a Rav who to discuss it with. Now, finding the right Rav, or do I have to ask the Rav of the Shil where I daven if I don't relate to him or I don't feel comfortable with him? Or do I have to ask the, the Rav that my father used to ask? I'm not discussing that now. But you have to definitely have a Rav that you feel that you could commit to his Dastoira and you feel open and to discuss things with him. And that's what Dastoira means. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not to answer to every question. It doesn't mean that he won't refer you to somebody who understands certain, certain areas better than that. And I'm not saying you have to ask everything to a roof. You're allowed to go to a doctor for a checkup. But I'm not asking the roof. You're allowed to go, or if you can take Tylenol. I'm just saying the idea that so many questions would be resolved if only someone had that roof that they felt comfortable talking with and they weren't ashamed. That's what I, and if somebody says, well, I am ashamed, I don't want to say the words too bad, but sometimes you do what, what you're ashamed of doing. It's just like you ask your doctor a question that you don't feel so comfortable asking. And it's important to realize that whatever you might feel ashamed of asking, Yeruv, many people asked him already. I can tell you that much. I'm very close with a lot of Rabbonim, and I speak to people all the time myself. I can tell you clearly, anything you might want to ask Yeruv, people have asked him already. He's not going to look down at you. He's not going to look at you funny. And, and if you're afraid that you can't accept the guidance he's giving for whatever reason, then, then I don't know. Maybe you might need another Yeruv, but that's a discussion of its own, like I said before. Don't be, don't be ashamed to ask. And don't go hopping around every question to a different Yeruv. That's definitely um, not, not a Toyota way of doing things. And the same thing is when you go for help. You're going, you're going to help, you're going to therapist, or whoever they may be. It's important to get qualified as to make sure that you're going to the right person. And it's important for the person that you're going to to be okay with the fact that you might check whatever guidance or advice they gave you with a das toilet. It should never be seen as a contradiction. There are therapists and there are counselors and there are doctors and there are professionals who know a lot more than the roof. And there are many topics you might have to discuss with them. But it's okay to just make sure that the roof, that you're on the same page and doing what's, what's, what's right. Now, um, just two more things I want, I want to discuss over here. We know that in Torah there's, there's halucha and there's chimra. There are things that are mandatory and obligation, right, or, or prohibited, usa. And then there are things that are chimra. There's, a, there's an advantage, there's an old debate. There's an advantage and a disadvantage of knowing the difference. Let me explain that. Let's first start with a disadvantage. If you're going to teach your kids, for example, what's right and wrong, and you can be very clear, okay, this you have to do, this you're not allowed to do, this you don't have to do, and this is better if you don't. If you start being mechanic children that way, could you imagine what's going to happen? How long will it take for the kids to start taking very lightly the things that you don't have to? Well, I don't have to, right? It's not terrible if I do. Um, that, that, that's already not a good, not a good attitude. And we don't do that. We teach kids. Yes, you do wash. Megalasin, you do wash for food, and you do wash. We don't start breaking down, okay, this is more important, this is less important. This part of davening, you have to say, you're not yoitz if you don't say it. This part, you could technically live out if you're very busy. We don't teach that. There's something not great about people knowing which parts you have to, which parts you're allowed to, which parts you know. That's first of all. Um, on the other hand, when people don't know the difference, it's also no good. Because what happens is when, when a, a child sees that he starts leaving out, let's say, uh, carbonus or a liney, or whatever it is, whatever part of davening, let's say, is not the main part. And he starts feeling guilty, he starts feeling bad about himself. He starts, you know, what happens? He starts living out more. And anyway, not davening the right way. He starts living out from the Ezra, for example. And that happens often. People feel like because I didn't do the, the thing I was taught to do, which is, the mo- which is uh, very important, I'm, I must be a terrible person. So I'm anyway terrible, let me just give up on the whole thing. And, and that brings them to now be over halochas that are chivim and isirim. So it, it's, it's an old debate. And I don't mean debate that there are two different opinions about it. It's something to think about. 
In very many areas, in, in a Yiddish Ashtib, it's important to understand the difference. This you're allowed to, this you're not allowed to. And you have to get the difference. And even if you were taught to not do what you're allowed to, um, and for whatever reason, for whatever reason you're being taught now differently, or for whatever reason you decide on your own you want to be a shaygitz and do what, what you were taught not to do. But it's still important to realize, one second, but that wasn't yet necessarily what you're not allowed to. I hope I'm being clear. In certain areas, when it comes to marriage and it comes to things that are private, it comes to things that people won't know what you're doing anyway, and things like that, uh, you know, they, they say the old joke, it's a vort mine of tzaddikim, that if people would be eating murar in shiul and taking the esrik at home, they'd probably buy a little lemon for an esrik because nobody sees it anyway. And the murar, they would eat as big kezayas. They would like bite in and just eat as much as it goes. But because you're eating murar at home, you take this little piece of lettuce and because you're taking the esrik in, in shiul, that's why you do it. There are things that because they're at home and because the, the more private they are, the more people are tempted to do as they understand, which is an issue. People don't feel comfortable talking to Aru about these things. But it's very hard in certain areas, again, without going into too much detail, it's very hard in certain areas to really stick to what is um, not allowed while not being careful with that which might be less prohibited. I've seen this many times. Right? There's a certain thing about finding out what's, what's a chimra and what's halucha, and then slowly giving up on the chimra without realizing that, like you say, it's a very fine line. And I've seen very few people know how to really go on that fine line of never doing what's really not allowed, but not having a problem with, with that which they were taught not to do, but technically is allowed. So again, it's just food for thought. I don't mean to promote any, any strict uh, agenda or any um, strict perspective or anything too stifling or anything that doesn't work for people. And I would definitely encourage anyone to talk to whoever they, they could feel comfortable talking to to find out that they're doing the right thing. And I don't mean to say that you should be afraid of, of, of doing whatever works for you if it's right, and, and, and there are things that are important, and, and definitely people should not be choking themselves or suffocating themselves. It's all about balance. It's all about understanding that there are things that are important and there are things that should be taken you know, the, way they, the way they work. At the same time, being very conscious of, let's, let's make sure that this is a'ilig ishtib, and not just do whatever is minabubi yudai. So, as clear and vague as I can be at the same time, I hope I'm giving some kind of direction over here. The second point that I wanted to mention is Jewish guilt. Okay, there's a lot of comedy about Jewish guilt, how the Yid is the one that's always feeling guilty and always feeling bad about himself, and, and, and really it's no good, and you shouldn't feel so guilty, and whatever. Uh, first of all, Jewish guilt, uh, however how you want to uh, refer to it, is part of our consciousness. I don't want to go into the whole idea, but um, Ken Spiro has talks about, about, uh, about anti-Semitism, and he quotes Hitler, Yemach Shemoy, talking about um, why he wanted to really get rid of the Jews, and he talks about the consciousness, the Jewish consciousness. As long as the Jews are around, everybody feels guilty. There's a certain Yiddishkeit feeling of, we have to do what's right. We have to do what's right. It's part of, it's part of our psyche. You'll never get rid of it. You'll never do what's wrong and feel comfortable with yourself. Let me just say that much. As much as people try to get rid of the Jewish guilt and try to feel good about themselves and try to make believe and try to absolve themselves of any negative feelings, you'll never really feel good when you're not doing the right thing. That, that's, just, that's just who we are. Sometimes there's the very clear advantage of that which is that it gets a person back on track, even if for a while they weren't doing what they're supposed to. I'm not talking about only at home, and I'm talking only about these issues, I'm talking about in general. And sometimes when something is necessary, for whatever reason, it's necessary. It's what works, it helps you, it's building your marriage, it's building your home, whatever it may be. There's a subconscious, um, slight, subtle Jewish guild that will help you keep something temporary. And this is something I heard from uh, uh, Udam Gudel. He was once guiding a couple, 
and he was telling them that for the time being you should um, you should uh, what's the word release a little of that uh, stringency and certain things that are not working for you you, you shouldn't do right now and you should uh, behave in a way that you were maybe not taught as, as, as specifically right but remember this is temporary that was his guidance don't make peace with it don't feel good about it he's not, he's not saying you should do it feeling ridden with guilt and feeling bad about yourself and hating your spouse and resenting you know, the way you were taught just remember, this is what's necessary now, go ahead and do it. Remember, this is temporary. And he was actually guiding them to do it in a temporary way. When you feel the need to do X, Y, Z, which is not prohibited, obviously, because if it were, there's no, there's no exceptions to the rule, do it there, do it then, do it in a way that's going to remind you, this is what's necessary now, and it may not be the right thing to do. So feeling somewhat guilty about something is not always bad. It doesn't mean you should feel guilty about doing the right thing. It doesn't mean you shouldn't find out what is right or wrong. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel comfortable finding out, like I said before, is it okay or is it not okay? And if it is okay, there's no reason to feel guilty. The fact that somebody maybe uh, taught you to do something that's, that, that's totally unnecessary, totally wrong, there's nothing to feel guilty about that at all. There's, there's, a, there's a Christian idea of guilt. There's a whole different idea of guilt. You know, the necessary sin and things like that. Us Eden don't have that. But feeling somewhat guilty when you're not really doing things the way you should, even if it's necessary, not always is that a terrible thing. Let me just say that much. So, uh, without going into any more detail, I, I, it's not my place to be educating in detail. But I will say that, yes, there is a fine line, like you mentioned. It's a line that's worth getting clarity on. And like everything else, and like I mentioned before, so many things in life, especially the, the more gentle, the more sensitive areas, don't just do, don't just decide, don't just figure out on your own, don't just make believe. It's not a good attitude. You don't want to get to the minchel of you don't want to get to things that are just spiraling in a whole different direction. And sometimes people notice, well, wow, how did I end up here? And that's what happened. You just, you just take things very lightly. You don't think them, think them through. So I hope that I gave some kind of clarity on the two questions we, we spoke about. I hope I'm offering balance to people listening to this. I hope people realize that, yes, there's a time and place for whatever it is that works in the marriage. There's a time and place for whatever works that makes people feel good. There's a time and place for whatever it is that makes people feel content. Last week I spoke about men having fun and enjoying themselves. There's a time and place for everything. And then there's a time and place to know how to contain that, make sure that's in the right time, in the right place, and not going overboard, not causing a bigger problem in marriage. It's only being used to help a marriage, to help a connection, to help a leader, and an Ibis yourself with the right balance and the right guidance and the right clarity and the right, and the right um, um, patience to think things through and the right uh, attention and responsibility that these kind of things deserve, we could, we could get it right. We could find that balance and live together.